my podcast, God, that's so loud. A podcast that talks about sex, dating, and relationships, and Joel tells me how loud I am. Today, let's just get this out of the way. We are drinking a drink that I found at the Dollar Tree, so keep that in mind when, um, when I'm about me. to introduce this. What, what is this drink exactly? It is a jelly belly, as in jelly bean, sparkling water drink, watermelon flavored. It says naturally flavored, but I think naturally flavored just means that they put jelly beans in it. Um, let's try it. So it's not watermelon flavored. It's what Jelly Belly thinks watermelon tastes like. Yeah. Zero sugar, zero sweetener, zero calories, zero sodium. I don't hate that. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it smells. I think it's because it's zero sugar. It though. smells so strongly yeah. of like Jelly Belly. And the aftertaste is definitely Jelly Belly. Yeah, but like the flavor is just like slightly sparkling water. Yeah. I think that if it was like full of sugar, it'd be a totally different experience. I think they should make energy drinks. I don't mind that flavor. I, You know what? If I saw this at a dollar store, I might buy some more cans. I, I am impressed. Why do we do this to ourselves, Naomi? Um, I bought it and you, your immediate reaction was, yeah. Um, because I'm not open to new experiences. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, Naomi, what is our podcast? <laughs> I already said that. Did we? Yeah. Oh my God. I just blacked all of that out. <laughs> yeah. This is disconcerting. We're going to cut all of this. We're going to start over. from. Joel and I are both not ready for this podcast episode today. I was out till like 2 a.m. last night celebrating one of my friend's birthdays. Um, not fun if you're an introvert. Let me just put that out there. I wasn't drunk or anything. Like I didn't drink. It was just people are weird. Clubs are awful. I don't like them. So what you're saying is dating is really easy. No, because, okay, here's the thing. I got hit on, like, once fully, and then a couple other times men were just like, hey, and I was like, <laughs> but, yeah. um, <laughs> hey, you um, want some of this? No, <laughs> it was just weird because, like, I was wearing, like, a pretty, like, tight outfit. Like, I was wearing, like, uh, je- jeans. I was wearing uh, leather pants and, like, a like a nice shirt. I liked it. it. It was very, my titties were very on display. That's all I have to say. Joel, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that I can share this experience with you. Um, so I understand the attention, but like if you're a dude, I understand like going to a club and trying to find a woman, but like I also don't understand why men are like, I'm going to go out to the club and try to find myself a girlfriend. Um, don't go to the club to find a girlfriend. That's all I'm going to say. You're not going to find the right lady for you at a club. That's all I'm going to say. Maybe 5% of the time you will, but a really weird guy came up to me and tried to like hit on me and I was like, this is just not it. Like, sir, why do you think you, like, I want to see your PhD. That's all I'm saying. Also, I have a boyfriend. Damn. Lynn, you better watch out if those PhDs make their moves on Naomi. No, it's just like when you have the, like, we talked about this before. It's like you have to have a certain level of want to continue to learn if you don't have a degree. And we talked about this before. Like, if you are a woman with a bachelor's degree, you're looking for someone with equal or more standing than you. And if that's not possible, then you're looking for someone who can, wants to continue to learn. And my current partner, Len, continues to learn. Like, he's super fascinated with, like, history and, like, especially Viking history. He has Vikings Ooh, in his Oh, that's family. a red flag. I don't think it's a red flag. Uh, like, Nor- Norse mythology, things of that sort. He also, like, is really into, like, reading about pagans and things of that sort. So, like, it's interesting what he's interested in and if you're just there and you're working and you like aren't willing to like have these discussions and you're just going out to a club every weekend that's a red flag to me anyways 
not the whole point of what we're here to yeah, talk about Yeah, Naomi, I want to segue slightly. Speaking of things that make you uncomfortable that you don't fully understand, mm-hmm. what do you know about Steve Harvey? Um. Okay, let's see. Steve Harvey. Off the top of your head. I don't need you to look at show notes. He does, um, like... I know that he does, like, Family Feud, so he's a host of Family Feud. I know that for sure because I see those, like, videos on TikTok all the time. I also know that he Miss Crown. Was that him that Miss Crown, Miss Miss America, Miss World or whatever? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that's all I know about. Oh, and I know that he gave me really good um, dating advice ones or, like, marriage advice ones because he was like, you should have one account, one personal account per partner, um, and then you have a joint account, which is a savings account where you both put in a certain amount of money, like per, per each paycheck or per year or whatever. And then you, uh, which your personal accounts are for your own personal spending savings account. And then I think there's a fourth account, but I forgot what it was, but it was, I felt like it was really good. This advice. podcast is brought to you by Wells Fargo. <laughs> Open as many accounts as you can today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, to be honest, I didn't know a lot about Steve Harvey. There's an internet video I saw, which was a 30 minute super cut of, of, Oh, the fourth account is for your bills. Mm. So your shared bills. So if you live together, it's your or your phone plan or whatever, and that's your bills account. So you put a certain amount of money in. Now, I mean, I'm winding up, and Sorry. you've like grabbed my arm and like have, have thrown me to the ground. Go ahead, the go, judo ahead move. go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, there was a 30 minute long internet compilation of him going slowly insane while hosting his various game shows that I found amusing. I may put a link to that in our podcast. Do it. Um, I knew he hosted Family Feud. I thought he was a big Trump supporter because I knew he was like religious and I met with Trump and I looked that up and it turns out he met with Trump at some point and then like explicitly said, no, I'm not a fan of him. So good for him. Um, I want to give a little bit of background before we we get into the topic of the episode, which should come as no surprise to people who read the title of episodes before they start things. (laughs) Uh, Broderick Stephen Harvey Sr., born 1957, is an American television host, actor, writer, producer, and comedian. He hosts, among other things, the Steve Harvey Morning Show, Family Feud, Celebrity Family Feud, the Miss Universe Competition, Judge Steve Harvey, Family Feud Africa, and Arbitration-Based Court Comedy. Um, Harvey began his career as a comedian. He performed stamp comedy in the late 1980s. Uh, his last stand-up show is in 2012. Um, as an author, he has written four books, including a book we will talk about in just a moment, published in 2009. He also, in 2017, founded Steve Harvey Global, an entertainment company that houses his production company East 112 and various other ventures. He launched an African version of Family Feud, which I believe he also hosts. And um, to his credit, he and his wife Marjorie are the founders of the Steve and Marjorie Harvey Foundation, a nonprofit organization focused on youth education. He is a six-time Daytime Emmy Award winner, two-time Marconi Award winner, and 14-time NAACP Image Award winner in various categories. Uh, He also does a radio show. Um, It's syndicated throughout the United States. He's hosted it since early 2000. It's a weekday morning radio program uh, where he talks about different topics and I think answers questions. Um, Harvey is a Christian and has attributed his success to his faith in God. This will become important later. Harvey reports that he's followed a vegan diet for health reasons and has presented the rationale for his diet on his TV program. Um, I, nothing but praise for that. And then he and his wife do this Mar- uh, Stephen Marjorie Harvey Foundation, which provides youth outreach services. It provides scholarships. And he also works with Disney for the Disney Dreamers Academy. Um, so, yeah, not, not, I don't really have any criticisms of him there. Um, he is worth $200 million, which is pretty considerable. He has an annual salary estimated to be about $45 million a year because he hosts like so many shows and is like 
producing a large amount of media. And there are some controversies. Um, we can go through them. I don't think they're that important. You mentioned, uh, I think, two of them. Uh, he said some things people have seen as racist. He did say something pretty offensive about Asians at some point, but he did walk that back. Um, he he has some, like, things on his record, but nowhere near as crazy as some of, like, the sexual assault and abuse of his peers that we've talked about on this podcast before. So I'm not like, going to slight him for that. Um, he is one of the cleanest records of public figures we've talked about on this show, and at least that's what I initially thought before I started reading this book and reading more into him. Yeah, Joel, why are we talking about Steve Harvey? That's a really good question, Naomi. See, Steve Harvey believes strongly in the power of self-improvement. Steve Harvey has hosted multiple shows where he talks about motivation. He's written books about motivation. Motivation through, like, personal empowerment or motivation through God. I'm concerned because he's focused so much on motivational works, because he's focused so much on personal self-improvement, that he genuinely believes he can help people. And his version of helping people is the book Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, released in 2009. Um, this book is about how men think about women in relationships. And Naomi, this book, the hardcover version at least, spent 60 four weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, 23 of those weeks at number one. How is that possible? Um, because it turns out, Naomi, lots of people want to listen to influential people give their takes on dating advice. And that's where Steve Harvey becomes super problematic. Because Steve Harvey, in the opening, like, five pages of the book, openly admits he knows nothing about, like, dating and relationships. But he's, he's married. Well, uh, to the extent that advice that's applicable to other relationships. And he's okay. like, you know, when people started asking me to do this, I had, like, no idea. But then I started thinking, and I'm like, I know men. Yeah, that's it. And he puts together this book full of deeply misogynistic, deeply damaging relationship advice that is just eaten up by the public. And we've discussed this, like, on our podcast before, but this is why, one of the reasons why being wealthy is so dangerous, because if you're wealthy, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can spread these messages that you think you're doing in good faith. Oh, I you genuinely... mean, like, Gwyneth Paltrow doing those, like, steaming vagina treatments? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because whether or not Gwyneth Paltrow believes it is besides the point, she has the influence where people will believe yeah. her because she's in a position of power. And it's the same problem here with Steve Harvey, this incredibly influential, incredibly successful person who now is trying to spread this message, this, this gospel even, of how you can improve your relationships, specifically women improve their relationships. Yeah. Because Steve Harvey thinks he has the answer to all of your problems, and the adoring public, I guess, is on his side. The problem is Steve Harvey's been divorced twice. Um, his oh, wow. second wife claims that he was cheating on her throughout his relationship, uh, throughout his career even, and there's apparently an ongoing legal dispute about how much he owes her and back child support. I think it's something like $50 million is being thrown around. I don't know the exact details. I've child seen some contradictions. Child support or alimony? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not going to pretend to be well-versed in these details. Okay. Um, but he's, one, not necessarily the best person to be writing a book, given that, you know, he's worth a crazy amount of money and has experienced, you know, experiences the vast majority of us will never be able to. Um, but two, because, like, he's already proven kind of on his record that he's not the, the best role model for people to learn from in their relationships. And this really comes through when you start reading this book. And we will read this book, Naomi. There is so much content here. I'm genuinely thinking we could get, like, four episodes out of it. But I think today we're just going to work on two. Uh, the general premise of the book is when relationships don't work out, it's the fault of women. Everything men do is logical. Everything women do is emotional. Uh, gender roles are actually really good. Successful women shouldn't be confident. And men don't need to change any element of their behavior, but women sure do. 
This book is also like written from the perspective of like the boomeriest boomer. Um, I don't even know if he falls into the category of baby boomers. I think he does, but like he he writes this book in two thousand nine, Naomi, and he makes a lot of references to things like sending flirty emails to your significant other. And I looked up, just out of morbid curiosity, whether or not people were texting a lot in 2009. And according to the CTIA, a technology firm in December of 2009, 286 million U.S. texters sent 152.7 billion text messages last month for an average of 534 messages per subscriber per month. So the, the Pew Research Center found in 2010 that 72% of U.S. adult cell phone users send and receive text messages. So, like, he's so far behind the times. He's, like, in the 1990s when it comes to flirtation. Because in 2009, texting was well on its way to being a primary form of communication for people, right? And, and that seems like a minor thing, but you'll pick up on that as we talk about the book. Um, but unless you have any questions, I want to really get in. I want to dig into the content he's talking about. I have no questions. Okay. I should mention again before we start, the reason we're discussing this is because this is an incredibly influential book. Uh, this is something a lot of people have read or have heard about. I wouldn't say even... influential. I would just say it has been read by a lot of people. Uh, okay. That, that would be my definition because I think his message has gotten out to a lot of people and I think it's worth discussing how damaging that message is. Okay. So Steve opens and says he's made a living for more than 20 years making people laugh. And he says his humor is always rooted in truth and full of wisdom, the kind that comes from living, watching, learning, and knowing. He's told that his jokes strike chords with people because they can relate to them, especially the ones that explore the dynamics of relationships between men and women. Women be shopping, am I right? It's just a universal truth. It never ceases to amaze me how much people talk about relationships, think about them, read about them, ask about them, even get in them without a clue about how to move forward. For sure, if there's anything I've discovered during my journey here on God's earth, it's this. A, too many women are clueless about men. B, men get away with a whole lot of stuff in relationships because women never understood how men think. And C, I've got some valuable information to change all of that. So he gives this anecdote about how he transitioned his career at some point to the Steve Harvey Morning Show in early 2000. And he created this segment called Ask Steve where women could call in and ask anything they wanted to know about relationships. So he thought it was going to lead to comedy, but what he found was most women had serious problems, Naomi. They had serious issues in their relationships. They had dozens of categories of needs and concerns in their lives they were trying to get a handle on. Dating, commitment, security, family baggage, hopes for tomorrow, spirituality, in-law drama, body image, aging, friendships, children, work-home balance, education. You name the topic, someone asked him about it. So his female listeners really wanted answers, answers of how to get out of a relationship what they're putting into it. And so on those Ask Steve uh, segments, and later through the Strawberry Letter segment he does on the current incarnation of the show, he says women have made clear they want an even exchange with men. They want their love to be reciprocated in the same way they give it. They want their romantic lives to be as rewarding as they make them for their potential mates. They want the emotions that they turn on full blast to be met with the same intensity. And they, respect, and they expect the premium that they put on commitment to be equally adhered to, valued, and respected. The problem for all too many women who call into my radio show, though, is that they can't get that reciprocation from men. And women end up feeling disappointed, disenfranchised, and disillusioned by failed relationships. So he wants every woman who wants a solid relationship but just can't figure out how to get one. And those who are already in a relationship and trying to figure out how to make it better to forget everything you've been taught about men. Everything, Naomi. From the, from the 
from the prostate to the to the penile tip. So you're telling. So do you want me to like get in on this experiment and just for do me to just like start tabula rasa? We're blanking this slate. Got it. Okay. So you want me to go through, and as we're going through this book report, you just want me to be like. Okay. I'll I want your intelligent advice. commentary, but keep in mind, he's saying every bit of advice women have ever received about men is wrong, which seems like a pretty bold statement to me, but okay. what do I know? Okay, okay. Um, so he's going to find out, he's going to show you, he's going to help you find out in these pages who men really are. What men count on, Naomi, is you'll continue to get your advice from other women who do not know our tactics or our mindset. Act like a lady, think like a man is going to change this for you. Um, so if you're dating and you want to find out how to take it to another level, Naomi, this book is for you. If you're in a committed relationship and you want to get the ring, Naomi, this book is for you. I don't want the ring. I don't want the ring. Too late. You're going to have to once you read this book. If you're married and you want to regain control and strengthen your bond, or if you're tired of being played with, then I want you to use this book as a tool to take each of the principles, rules, and tips in this no-nonsense guide and use them to anticipate a man's game plan and the counter with an offense and a defense that's unstoppable. Okay, so these are noble aspirations, Naomi, but there's a minor issue here. I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but Steve Harvey is seemingly of the belief that men won't change nor can be expected to, so you'll have to settle for whatever they consider love or affection. I did pick up on that. You can't expect them to rise. You will have to fall. Oh, no. So that's a really good start where he's saying women have too high of expectations. They need to forget all of that, understand how men work. And once they understand how men work, they can lower their expectations. And before you say... I do that every day. Sorry. <laughs> and before you say, Joel, that's a poor interpretation of his words. No, that's pretty strongly supported throughout the text as we move forward. Um, it's a deeply misogynistic statement. It puts a huge amount of the burden of dating on women. Yep. And it also is kind of sexist towards men because the assumption here is men themselves don't have the capacity to change, which kind of infantilizes us. So it both is like super demanding. It's one of those like emotional labor things where women are expected to do most of the work around the household, right? But also like men can't be expected to learn how to vacuum, Right, it's just the woman has to deal with all of this. And that's what do the rest you call it? It's like forward. learned helplessness. Yes, that is yeah. the phrase. Mm-hmm. Men have learned helplessness. Men aren't going to bother to read books on self-help. There's no "act like a man, think like a lady" book out there, uh, which should tell you something. If Steve Harvey is deeply committed to these things, um, yeah, you just need to accept that men suck, and once you do that, things will get better for you. Awesome. Okay. So there's no truer statement, Naomi. Men are simple. Get this into your head first, and everything you learn about us in this book will begin to fall into place. Okay. No matter if a man is a CEO, a con, or both, <laughs> everything he does is filtered through his title, who he is, how he gets that title, what he does, and the reward he gets for the effort, how much he makes. Until he's achieved his goal in those three areas, the man you're dating, committed to, or married to will be too busy to focus on you. I'm sorry, Naomi. That's just the dirty truth. A man needs a title. He needs to get that title, and he needs the reward for that title before he can truly be committed to you in this relationship. Okay. Think about it. From the moment a boy is born, the first thing everyone around him starts doing is telling him what he he must do to be a real man. He's taught to be tough. He's taught to work hard. He's taught to get the groceries out of the car, take out the trash, shovel the snow, cut the grass, and as soon as he's old enough, to get a job. He's taught to protect, to watch out for his mother and his younger siblings, to watch over the house and the family property, and he's especially encouraged to uphold the family name. Each of those things is taught in preparation for one thing, manhood. 
The pursuit of manhood doesn't change once a boy is grown. In fact, it's only magnified. His focus has always been on who he is, what he does, and how much he makes until he feels he's achieved his mission. And until a man does those things, women only fit in the cracks of his life. He's not thinking about settling down, having children, or building a home with anyone until he's got all three of those things in sync. I'm not saying he has to have made it, but he at least has to be on track to making it. This is the drive every man has. Every man has. Every man has. Whether he's the best player in the NBA or the best peewee football coach in rural Minnesota, whether he's the head of a Fortune 500 company or the supervisor on the line at local bakery, whether he's the kingpin of the major cartel or the chief corner boy on the block, encoded in the DNA of the male species is that we are to be the provider and the protector of the family, and everything we do is geared towards ensuring we can make this happen. This is what every man wants, anything less, and he doesn't feel like a man. We know we're not going to be head man in every situation and somewhere in our lives. We're going to be the one everyone answers to because it's important to us. We want the bragging rights, the right to say I'm number one. Women don't seem to care about this so much, but for us men, it's everything. After we've attained that, it's critical that we can show off what we get for being number one. We have to be able to flaunt it, and women have to be able to see it. Naomi, do you feel this is accurate? I feel violated. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, I feel this is super reductionist. And besides like my personal opinion saying this isn't how I think of the world, there's a lot of people I know in my life who I think of as role models who I'm like also don't think think of the world in this way. I just like don't understand. Does he think does he think these things because the women in his life have made him think these things? We're, get, we're gonna get to that. That's okay. an interesting thing you're picking up on, okay. and I wanna talk about that. Because you said he was married how many times? Twice, three times? Three he's times, on he's on marriage? his third wife. Okay. I believe the wife he's currently married to, the Stephen Harvey, Marjorie Harvey Foundation, yeah. that's the one she, he references throughout this book. Okay. And we'll talk about her, because she's okay. fun. Okay. I wanna dig into her. Okay. Um, I had a couple questions based off this. First, I would say that perhaps if that's the message men are getting, it's a bad message. Like, he never really questions, like, the social structures and the things people are telling. Yeah. Um, if if this is the message men are getting, maybe parents should teach boys other things. Or maybe if this is a message that defines men's lives and is a good thing, women should be taught these things too, not just men. I don't no. know. It's unclear what his perspective <laughs> is. But, I mean, the questions I immediately have is, like, there's a lot of men out there dating who you've encountered on apps who don't seem to be fully actualized. Yeah. They don't seem to be at the top of the heap. They don't seem necessarily to even be on the way to the top of the heap. They seem to think they're top shit without actually having anything to back it up. Yeah, and the fact is that, like, a lot of men think that way, and they never actually, like, self-actualize. Mm-hmm. They never get to the point. Like, they die thinking they're, like, the best shit that's ever come to planet Earth. Right. So it seems really easy for a man to delude himself into thinking he's top shit, which is completely different than actually being, like, I don't know where they get this, like... That's something that I question a lot. Like, when I was dating, when I was actively dating, I was wondering, like, where they get this mentality of being top shit. 
Well, let me segue slightly because okay. I had to do some research to disprove some of Steve Harvey's accusations. Okay. Um, so Pew did some polling in September of 2017. They had an article by Kim Parker and A. Stepler talking about how Americans see men as the financial provider, even as women's contributions grow. Roughly 7 in 10 adults say it is very important for a man to be able to support a family financially to be a good husband or partner. By comparison, 32% say it's very important for a woman to do the same to be a good wife or a provider. Right? Yeah. This is five years ago, Naomi. Yeah. Men are especially likely to place a greater emphasis on the roles financial providers. While a nearly equal share of men and women say a man needs to be able to provide for his family to be a good husband or partner, 72% and 71% respectively, men are less likely than women to say the same about women. Just a quarter of men say this is very important for a woman to be a good wife or partner, compared to 39% of women. So my question is this. Could focus on these things, such as being a provider by men, be more of a way of trying to be sexually attractive or a good provider for their family than a motivation of itself, right? If what he's saying is accurate, then men want to be the top of something. They want to be yeah. the best of something. Could it just be that men want to be good husbands and fathers? That they want to, like, provide for their families and the best way of doing that is getting to the top of their organization and making the most money? Okay, question. What happens if... An individual doesn't want a family. What if they just are a part of hookup culture? No, everyone wants families, according to Steve Harvey. Oh, okay. It's okay, kind okay. of a defect if you don't love God and you don't want a family. That's oh, then I'm one defective bitch. <laughs> but I guess my point there is he's trying to say that, like, men are pursuing these things and relationships can't fit inside that model. But, like, I could see a relationship very easily fitting inside that model and being motivation for a man to be his best. So from the get-go, his, like, Statements seem a little absurd. Yeah. But then when we dig into it, we find some interesting racial breakdowns because blacks and Hispanics are more likely than whites to place a high level of importance on being able to financially support a family when it comes to being a good spouse or partner. 84% of blacks is, is very important for a man, as do 78% of Hispanics. By comparison, 67% of whites say the same thing. And while 52% of blacks and 40% of Hispanics say it's very important for a woman to be able to provide for a family, only 27% of whites agree. There are age differences as well. Adults age 65 and older, for instance, are more likely than younger age groups to say that a man should be able to provide financial support for his family. But the different expectations for men and women persist across age groups. Among adults age 18 to 29, for example, 64% say it's very important for men to be able to provide for their family, while 34% say the same about women. So, like, Steve Harvey says this is a book with advice that applies for all men, but, like, from the get-go... There's other explanations, and then there's also clear racial divides between, like, certain ethnicities thinking it's more important than others do. Yeah. So, like, his argument kind of breaks down. If you're trying to date, for instance, a black or Hispanic man, this advice might apply, but not so much for, like, a white man. Do you understand? So, again, I feel his entire argument kind of collapses because it seems very racially based if that makes sense he's yeah. speaking from his experience as a black man yes. in an upper age group yeah and again similar to flirty emails naomi he doesn't seem to have a good grasp on the pulse of like what the average man actually is he married to a younger woman just out of curiosity i don't know do you want to do some research on that yeah. marjorie harvey's okay. age yes. um i would say they seem based on the anecdotes he shared to be similar in age um i couldn't say for certain i don't think he mentioned how old is he book. Um, he's in his 60s. Okay, she's 57. Okay, I think he's like 65. So they're, okay. they're close. They're close. I don't know when they met exactly. I think in, in that, it, when you're, you're getting up in age after 40, there's not really much of like, you know how some people are like, oh, age gap marriages are awful. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that, that mm -hmm. 
an age gap of 10 years or so is that big of a deal when you're in your 50s. I, I think age gap relationships are problematic when you have younger people at play. When yeah. you don't have brains fully developed, people who don't have experience yeah. with the relationships. Yeah, yeah. I um, think after the age of 30, it's not that big of a deal to have an age gap relationship yeah. of 10 years or more. But then there's another article Naomi wanted to bring up, which was a Daily Mail article from 2018. Peter Floyd typed this up for them and basically says, money doesn't buy happiness. Millionaires say you need double wealth to be happy. So researchers at Harvard Business School quizzed 2,000 millionaires for the study, which is considered to be the first of its kind to focus solely on the level of wealth. Professor Michael Norton, who led the research, asked subjects, the wealthiest clients of an investment bank, to rank their happiness on a scale of 1 to 10. He then asked them to specify what net worth would be required for them to reach optimum levels of contentment. Basically, everyone says they need two or three times as much money, he said. Specifically, a quarter of millionaires worth $1.5 million said they need 11 times more money to be perfectly happy, while one quarter said they would need six times as much. Another quarter said they would need twice as much money to finally be happy. This did not differ by wealth, and the perceived need that more money equates to more happiness was expressed even by those of a net worth of more than $7.6 million. Our research suggests the curve does not fully flatten out, Professor Norton says. Similarly, millionaires with wealth of more than $6 million were found to be happier than those with $1 million. This only provided modestly greater well-being, the study said. So why did I bring that up, Naomi? Why? Because wealthy, actualized men who have a title, have reached their title, and are getting money for their title, still aren't happy. Steve Harvey says you can focus on relationships as soon as you've achieved those things, but even people who've achieved those things aren't yeah. actually happy. And if we think about some conversations we've had on this podcast, such as those about Bill Gates cheating on his wife, yes. or being inappropriate with people, yes. Jeff Bezos cheating on his yes. wife, being inappropriate with other people, Arnold Schwarzenegger cheating on his wife, Tiger Woods, etc. Yes. You some have people very, very successful, very rich people. We we could arguably say those were at the top of their game, and you know whatever field you want to yeah. be, and so I. Either these men are like deeply psychologically disturbed and want something completely different than what they've like actually achieved in life, or his statement is completely incorrect. Here's a woman's perspective, and I'm not speaking for every woman. This is just this woman right here's perspective. In those situations, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates being some of the richest people in the world, I think that they get too full of themselves in those instances and think mm -hmm. they can get away with anything because, you know, they're not paying taxes on their companies. They're not full taxes. Sorry. Um, they're not um, having to deal with everyday life. Bill Gates thought that a box of mac and cheese was like $12. Um, it probably will be in the upcoming year. Um, just kidding. Um, not really. Um, so <laughs> things of that sort, like they get too full of themselves. They don't actually have to do any of their own work. They probably have somebody clean their house. They have someone do their laundry. They have someone get their groceries, things of that sort. Um, when you get to that level and you don't have any like responsibility except to run your company. And you said what Jeff Bezos runs his company four hours out of the day or something like it's that. It's something like that. Yeah. When you get to that point, you get too full of yourself and you think, oh, I can get away with anything. So you cheat on your wife. You're like, my wife will forgive me. As soon as your wife leaves you, you're like, oh, I'll just get another wife. So Jeff Bezos is currently in a relationship with his the person that he um, had a affair with and um, is actively seeking out. I don't know if they're on the path of marriage, but you get too into yourself to the point where you don't have a sense of, I need to provide for someone. It's all about you. 
Yeah. And, and, and to that extent, I'd say it might even be better dating someone who hasn't achieved their goal, who is aiming to achieve their goal than someone who has. Because I think well, what then- you're talking about, if, if you're on the top of the world in a specific category, there's a huge number of people who support your lifestyle on a daily basis. There's yeah. your cooks, there's your maids, yeah. there's you know the people who help you deal with like bureaucracy, your lawyers. And so you start thinking of people less as individuals and more as like tools to get stuff done. Yeah. And so it's easier to excuse away actions because you're not really affecting people anymore, you're affecting your tools. And I think a lot of wealthy individuals either have to be sociopaths or become sociopaths because they're stepping on so many people below yeah. them in order to achieve their goals. Well, That's why Jeff Bezos is okay with like horrible conditions at Amazon yeah. warehouses because they're not people. What you're saying is that what you originally your original statement is that somebody needs to um, be on their way up when you're when you get into a relationship with them but what happens when you're an older woman and it's your second marriage or something and that person is already like you can't find someone necessarily in your age group if you're looking for someone um with those specifications that's building their way up yeah i mean he doesn't really talk about older women he makes references to women who already have children but like the way he talks about their interests and activities, it doesn't seem like any of them would be older than their 30s. Yeah. Um, so There's no women over 30 in this world. I don't this know if is true. This. But yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to make is one of his biggest statements about the nature of men, the thing he says is the most important thing to understand, falls apart when you dig into any research about manhood, masculinity, or success. So from the get-go, you can probably assume most of this book is drivel. But let's say the person reading this book kind of skips around and like goes section to section, not reading in order. The rest is all garbage, too. And I want to dig into that as well. Um, So part two, Naomi, is called Our Love is Not Like Your Love. And it's the first of many sections normalizing the idea that women can't have standards. How fucking dare you have standards, Naomi? Damn it. How dare you have standards? Dude, my standard is on the fucking floor. What is he talking about? Ooh, land. <laughs> Nothing on this planet, Naomi, can compare the woman's love. It is kind and compassionate, patient and nurturing, generous and sweet and unconditional, pure. If you are his man, if you are her man, you will, she will walk on water and through a mountain for you. You too, no matter how you've acted out, no matter what crazy thing you've done, no matter the time or demand. If you are her man, she will talk to you until there just aren't any words left to say, encourage you when you're at rock bottom and think there isn't any way out, hold you in her arms when you're sick, and laugh with you when you're up. And if you're her man and that woman loves you, I mean really loves you, she will shine you up when you're dusty, encourage you when you're down, defend you even when she's not so sure you were right, and hang on to your every word even when you're not saying anything worth listening to. Um, so like, let's say you get accused of like, you know, sexual assault or something. Your woman needs to stand by you. That's really important, Naomi. So and Bill a, Cosby's wife. Yes. <laughs> what a good example of a woman's love. And no matter what you do, no matter how many times her friends say you're no good, no matter how many times you slam the door in the relationship, she will give you her very best and then some and keep right on trying to win over your heart. Even when you act like everything she's done to convince you she's the one just isn't good enough. That's a woman's love, Naomi. It stands the test of time, logic, and all circumstance. I'm an awful woman then. Yeah. 
And this is exactly how you expect all men to love you in return. Ask any woman what kind of love she wants from a man will sound something like this. I want to be humble and smart, funny and sensitive, romantic and gentle, and above all, supportive. One look in my eye and tell me I'm beautiful and I will complete him. I want a man who's vulnerable enough to cry when he's hurting, who will introduce me to his mother with a smile, who will love children and animals, and who's willing to change diapers, wash dishes, and do all that. I mean, I'd ask if he's a nice buddy and a lot of money, expensive shoes, all scuffs, that would be great too. Amen. Well, I'm here to tell you, Naomi, that expecting that kind of love, that perfection from man is unrealistic. That's right, I said it. It's just not going to happen. No way, no how. Because a man's love isn't like a woman's love, Naomi. Don't get it confused now. I'm not saying we're not capable of loving. I'm just saying that a man's love is different, much more simple, direct, and probably a little harder to come by. I'll tell you this. A man who is in love with you is probably not going to call you every half hour and give you an update on how much he loves you at 5.30 p.m. than he did at 5 p.m. Damn He's it. not going to sit around stroking your hair and wiping your brow with cold compresses while you sip hot tea and nurse yourself back to health. His love is still love, though. It's just different from the love that women give. And in a lot of cases, want. I argue if you simply recognize how exactly a man loves you, you might find the man standing in front of you is indeed giving you his all and then some. So Naomi, how do you know when a man loves you? It's simple. He'll do each of the following three things. He's going to profess, Naomi. He's going to provide. And he's going to... I put that... I put down profess twice. He's going to profess, Naomi. He's going to provide. And he is going to... I don't know what the third one is. Where did I put it? Profess, provide, and I guess there's only two things. Protect. 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 There we go. Okay. I forgot the most important, and that's okay. the one I really wanted to dig into. Okay. So, Naomi. Yeah. If your man is really your man. Yeah. Like, like really your man. Yeah. Like, like I'm talking, like, 100% your man. Okay. He's willing to tell anybody and everybody. Look, man, this is my woman, or this is my girl, my baby's mama, or my lady. In other words, you will have a title, an official title, that extends far beyond this is my friend. That's because a man who has placed you in the most special part of his heart, the man who truly has feelings for you, will give you a title. That title is his way of letting everyone within the sound of his voice know that he's proud of being with you. Uh, Naomi, I do need to ask, what is Lynn's title for you? Um, do you really want to know? Um, for for Lauren, it's the old Paul and Chain. The old Paul and Chain. Yeah, she does. I probably shouldn't have said that on on a nationally <laughs> syndicated. Uh, yeah. No, he has lots. He a babe, baby. Uh, those are his nicknames for me. He calls me Mama sometimes. Um, I don't know why. Well, Naomi, it's really important that he has a title for you because a man who professes you as his own is also not saying in as many words that he's claiming you, that you are his. Now he's put everyone on notice. Any man who hears another man say, this is my lady, knows that whatever games, tricks, plans, schemes... I would cringe if someone described me as their lady. Well, any man knows that whatever games, tricks, plans, or schemes he may have had in mind for the pretty sexy lady standing in front of him need to be shelved until the next single woman comes into the room because another man has professed out loud this one is mine and she's not available for anything you were plotting and planning it's a special signal we men all recognize and respect as the universal code for off limits he calls me his girlfriend or his best friend or his um i don't know i think those are the he's called me for a while when we like were in between like like we were playing emotional checking he just called me his special lady friend nice yeah um I thought it was kind of fucked up that men need to be told not to approach women. That, like, every man who's single in a room with other single women is just going to, like, plot, scheme, trick, 
set up games to manipulate women to sleeping with them or getting with them. You obviously have never been to a club as a woman. Yeah, that put must on be some it. titties, put on a wig, and go out to a club. But again, like you he's, got the ass for he, it. He's acting like this is just natural and not something that men should be discouraged from doing. There's nowhere in here where he's like, it's fucked up that men do this and we should train them elsewise. No, he just considers it normal. Um, I thought it was interesting too, because you know me, I don't share a lot of things with my family. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a tattoo for over a year before any of you found out, and that was only because I forgot about it. Um, <laughs> medical appointments, the whole idea of staking claims on things seems weird. Who to me. is your emergency contact, just out of curiosity? You'll never know. So, like, if you die, do you have an emergency contact? Yes, yes or no? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And beneficiaries. So we'll know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I'm hoping. That, that isn't a conversation you need to have for a while. No, no, no. What I'm asking is, like, you just said you don't share personal information with your family. So I'm just asking, like, if you if you die, like, will I know within a certain amount of time or will I have to know several years later? Weird smell coming out of my room. Ew. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought it was weird that this is the standard he sets when it's not a standard, I would say, I as a man set. And I would say a lot of people that I know have never introduced their significant other to me is their girlfriend or how do they, they just say like, Oh, this is so-and-so literally this their name partner. See, I find it a lot less sexist where it's like, this is a person I care about. Not this is my wife to be. I just kind of got into the habit of saying, this is my boyfriend, Len, or like, oh. this is my friend, John. Mm-hmm. I don't have a friend named John. It'd be cool though. If I had a friend named John. Things can be inferred. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird standard, I guess, that I've set in my mind. And again, I don't think it's a universal standard like he's pretending. You're just like, this is Lauren? Yeah. Okay. I think Lauren uses the phrase boyfriend, though. Oh, funny. This is my boyfriend, Joel. Funny story. I went out to a birthday with Lauren yesterday, one of her friends from law school. So many people had birthdays yesterday. Yeah. And, um, she she's introducing me to another of her friends in a couple and that friend is like hey have we met before and i'm like i don't think so and she said you sure i thought you were at that party in gilbert and i'm like no and lauren's like that may have been the guy i was dating last time before joel oh my and i was God. like do we look similar she went i think i have a type and i was like oh no i actually oh, saw no. joel's doppelganger the other day he was driving the same sort of car that joel drives but in blue and he had the same beard and man butt as joel and i thought it was joel but in the, a different car and it scared the ebgbs out of me all men who drive nissan leafs um they they, they look the same yeah yeah that, that's all there's no greater common no made. same hair color same everything it was really creepy. Incredible. Well, Naomi, after you've professed, let's talk about providing. Okay. Because once we've claimed you, once we've claimed our women, and you've returned the honor, we're going to start bringing home the bacon. Simply put, a man who loves you will bring that money home to make sure you and the kids have what you need. Society has told us men for millennium, I think it's supposed to be millennia, that our <laughs> primary function is to make sure our families are set. Whether we're alive or dead, the people we love need want for nothing. This is the very core of manhood, to be a provider. Not for women, just for men. Yep. That's what it's all about. Um, okay, okay, okay. There are a few other things. This is him. I'm not making this up. There are a few other things. For example, how well you're endowed. And I'm not talking financially. Ew. And how well you can provide. Now I am talking financially. He's very... This is the I type of humor s- that made him oh famous. Okay, I read something that blew my mind the other day. And it really makes a lot of freaking sense. Men want an independent woman, Correct. They want an independent woman. Not according to Steve Harvey. Hear me out. Hear me out. They want an independent woman. 
I'm not talking independent mindset. I'm talking financially independent woman. She can buy me my Star Trek so Legos. They Star want Legos. a woman who is completely submissive, but is financially independent. That is what they mean when they say, I want an independent woman. And I found that out recently and it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And Steve Harvey is just backing this up. I disagree, Naomi. All men want is a hundred foot tall girlfriend who can crush them under her beautiful feet. All men want are women that eat hot chip and lie. <laughs> That too. If a man is in a position of being questioned about whether he's able to provide financially and otherwise for the ones he loves, you might as well dropkick his ego into an early grave. The more he can provide for his woman and his kids, the bigger and more alive he feels. Also, by the way, this is a guide for heterosexual couples. Gay people never come up. Um, I was going to ask yeah. that eventually, but I realized that. He's Christian. I, they don't yeah, exist. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sounds simplistic, but here's the reality. As a provider, a man pays the bills that have to be paid. He will not spend his money on trifling things and come to you with what's left. Traffin. A man who truly loves you would never ask you, make you ask for money for necessities. He would make sure you you need he he would make sure that you need and mostly want for nothing because every pat on the back he gets for bringing more money into the house, every kiss he gets for handing over cash for school clothes and supplies and toys, every bit of appreciation he gets for keeping lights and cable on boosts his prowess as a man. That's why. Okay, just saying that if I was aspiring to be like tech CEO or like king of the corner stoop or whatever, yeah. um, I don't know if if a kiss from my, my significant other would be as good as like CEO of the year award, but whatever. Maybe um, a like a hot meal, a nice steak. Oh, that'd be good. Potatoes. Naomi, if he's a real man, he will always put buying something for himself far below his responsibility to provide for his family. His need for another set of golf clubs or expensive shoes or a fancy car, anything else men like to spend their money on, will pale in comparison to providing for loved ones because those golf clubs can't make him square his shoulders the way true appreciation from women can. Naomi, I feel we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Who's the person in most heterosexual relationships who makes the 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 good spending choices and who's the one who makes the bad spending choices uh women make good choices and men statistically make the bad choices oh okay yeah j just wondering um no, no, I, no. okay wait pause okay we're okay. talking about financial situations i started this episode by saying that steve harvey gave me good advice about a relationship two bank accounts separate bank accounts for your own personal spending savings account um, and then your account that d goes over bills and stuff. How does that fit into what he's saying right there? Because the way that he's saying it, there should be an account and there should be a savings account and everything should be joined together. Explain that to me. How does that make sense? Um, we'll get into this. I don't know when there's a lot of content to go through. Basically, he kind of says what you talk about where like, men want independent women they're not offended by women who have their own careers and their own income but in order to like date a man in order to like lasso a man and keep him down and with you naomi you have to act as though he's the one really in charge of things around the house so even if you're the one providing everything yeah you have to stroke his ego so he thinks he's the one who's doing all the legwork. so you're a hot shot um lawyer doctor whatever but you have to come home and you have to act you have to get on your knees and you have to beg him for money it's not as bad as that but it's still pretty bad basically it's like men need to be able to think they have some degree of control of the relationship and women should like lie and exaggerate in order to get them to think that way in order to like maintain a man amazing yeah. the, the idea that women could just be single 
is completely foreign to The idea that women. (laughs) That's fair, too. No, no, okay. In in his fairness, he does say, for sure, all too many men shirk this responsibility. Okay. Whether out of selfishness, stupidity, or sheer inability, or a combination of all three. So remember when he said only, you know, real men will do this? I guess there's a big chunk of the population who aren't real men. You know, it's like the no true Scotsman, like rhetorical device, no true men men. Uh, which is now something I want on a t-shirt. Um, but some men simply don't have the education, resources, and wherewithal to make an adequate amount of hard cash. And if a man can't provide, then he doesn't feel like a man. So he flees to escape the horrible feelings of inadequacy, or he's going to bury those feelings in drugs and alcohol. Indeed, you can probably trace a whole host of pathologies exhibited by the most trifling of men back to their inability to provide. Um, or, or it could be, you know, all the people they blew up in Nam. I mean... I, I don't know if that was like, Nom. yeah, you know, it could be PTSD and, you know, coping strategies from, you know, having horrible experiences in the war, but no, Sorry, I wasn't laughing at the fact that you said at <laughs> Vietnam, I was laughing in the war. Um, but I was just laughing at the fact that you said Nom because it just sounded like you had just come out of active duty. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know that about me. Oh shit. Um, so he gets into something where he says like some men refuse to share the money in their pockets with women. And he's like, women, you've been tricked. You need to understand that the only reason men do this is because like rap songs have told them that they, you know, shouldn't accept no gold diggers or hoes. Oh, you mean like the song gold digger by Kanye West? (laughs) Sure. Uh, good friends. I'm sure. Now know this, Naomi It is your right to expect that a man will pay for your dinner, your movie ticket, your club entry fee, or whatever else he has to pay for in exchange for your time. You have to stop all this foolishness with the, I pay for my dinner. So he knows I don't need him approach. As I point out in the next chapter, the three things every man needs support, love, and a cookie, a man, a real one. Anyway, wants to feel needed. And the easiest way to help him get that high is to let him provide for you. Support, love, and a cookie. Uh, it's not what you think. It's much worse. Is cookie actually a, uh, It's sex. Okay. It's good sex. Uh, it's not okay sex. It's like the sex people go out of their way to have. Like, Steve Harvey's very insistent on this. We'll get to it. Now, Naomi, there are different ways to provide besides monetarily. Your man could be broke, but he's going to do everything within his power to make up for this by supplying your needs in other tangible ways. He may not be able to give you money to go to the store if you're running low on groceries, but he might have a little extra something in his fridge and pantry to hold you over until he can give you a couple of dollars. I got uh, mustard packets and bacon soda, baby, because I love you. In other words, he's not going to let you go hungry. If your car is broken down, he may not be able to pay for a mechanic, but he can call his buddies over to help him move your ride to the side of the road and give you rides to work until he figures out how to pay for your car to get fixed. Providing for the ones he loves and cares about, whether it's monetarily or the sweat equity, is a part of a man's DNA. If he loves and cares for you, this man will provide for you all these things with no limits. So here's the thing that I thought was kind of crazy, because like this is a good value for both sexes yeah like if you're in a relationship and someone doesn't want to provide for you maybe reconsider that relationship i don't know well, like i think it also depends on the type of relationship that you're going into so we need to consider all types of relationships and i think that it is a very good idea yes to have this provide in multiple different ways not like it could be emotionally it could be monetarily it could be physically um it could be a lot of different things 
So I think that we need to also understand that there's different relationship dynamics. I, I'm aware of that. The thing is, when he talks about women's contributions to relationships, he really glosses over them in later chapters. He's like, you know, women, you help around the house, you take care of the kids, you know. Yeah, women men, don't exist. Yeah. Men, meanwhile, hard day at work at the foundry, you know, pounding rods into iron beams in order to construct skyscrapers. That's what Joel does do. at work. This is true. That's <laughs> the secret I've been hiding from everyone. Yep. So, yeah, like, I don't think it's a bad value that he's talking about providing people. I just think it's kind of sexist, like, pinning it on one sex and making it their responsibility. And then I also thought that, like, oh, there are people who have depression and, like, other mental illnesses that make it difficult to, like, do those things. Those things don't exist. So, like, the NIMH, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health, I believe, had some stats that I pulled. And in 2020, Naomi, an estimated 14.8 million U.S. adults age 18 or older had at least one major depressive episode with severe impairment in the past year. This number represented 6% of all U.S. adults. Um, they did break it down, apparently, by age group. It's much higher in women than men. So 10.5% of women versus 6.2% of men. In age groups, 17% of 18 to 25-year-olds versus 9.1% of 26 to 49-year-olds. I wonder if that depends on, like, um, like childbirthing rates. Potentially? For women, because I, I know that postpartum depression No, is that can't be true because 9.5% of white people had a depressive episode versus 7% oh. of Hispanic, 6% of black, 4% of Asian, so on and so forth. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, like... Throw that idea out the window. I guess he's saying that, like, people who can't take care of themselves and can't take care of others because of, like, recurring depression episodes don't deserve love at all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, no disagreement. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's important for us to emphasize uh, mental illness is far more prevalent than people want to give it credit for. Yep. It's one of those things we don't like talking about as a culture. Um, there are plenty of people who have things that are deemed mental illnesses that are perfectly manageable and treatable. But with, they go undiagnosed because they think it's normal. Because well, that, yeah, been and that's perfectly true, too. So, like, Steve Harvey, be mindful of the fact that there are Steve people Steve Harvey's out there actually the mentally ill one Non-neurotypical. Um, I also think it's maybe a weird idea in his, like, idea of protection to, you know, turn relationships into transactions, where it's like, women, expect that a man pays you in exchange for your time. And it's like, hey, maybe that's where men thinking they deserve sex comes from, where, like, they're the ones who think that they deserve something because they've just paid for something else. Like, maybe don't have relationships be transactional. I've been reading a lot of, uh, I think it's David Graeber's Debt, The First 5,000 Years, where he talks about the, like, origins of money and exchange. And one of the things he talks about is a lot of, like, early societies had these very informal systems of barter, where it was basically, you know, I'll give you what I have today, and, you know, I expect at some point you'll pay me back. And typically people would pay that person back slightly more than whatever had been originally lent, not necessarily because of interest, but just as, like, appreciation where it had been done. And he's like, it's deeply problematic when you turn everything into this, like, system of accounts where, you know, money accounts for everything, um, because you form these really deep, co cohesive relationships in a society when you're constantly borrowing things from your neighbors and have, like, this mental calculus of, you know, who owes you what and whatnot. You create this like really vibrant community where people are constantly talking and interacting and doing things. And so like converting everything to monetary transactions is problematic because if you owe money to Bill and Bill owes money to the bank, you can just pay the bank rather than interacting with Bill at all, right? I don't know, just a thought. Last thing, Naomi, we've talked about profession, we've talked about providing, but let's talk about protecting. 
When a man truly loves you, anybody who says, does, suggests, or even thinks about doing something offensive to you stands the risk of being obliterated. Your man will destroy anything and everything in his path to make sure that whoever disrespected you pays for it. This is his nature, Naomi. You pick most any male species on the planet, and the same is true. No one is going to disrespect their family without paying a cost or at least putting up a serious fight. Um, so I don't know if I really want to get into this, but, like, Steve Harvey is this weird relationship with his mother where he constantly talks about how, like, a boy's love for his mother is the same as, like, a boy's love for, like, other women. And, like, they first learned... Very Freudian. Very Freudian. Um... You know, Steve Harvey is unappreciated as a modern Freudian. This is true. Um, but he is this great example. And Naomi, if, if this example makes you raise your eyebrows, you're not alone. Okay. So boys may not know what unconditional love is yet, but a boy child will never A, admit that his mother is capable of making mistakes, or B, let someone say or do something to his mother. This is taught to males practically from the womb. Cover your mother, protect her, don't let anybody say anything about her or do anything to her, and if they do, let them know it's time to take it outside. I remember distinctly when I was a little boy, I'm picturing like a little like eight-year-old baby boy with, with a, a giant lollipop and a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little boy, probably around age eight or so, standing there waiting for my mother to pull on her coat for the bus ride downtown. My father came in the room and said very simply, you and your mother are going downtown. Watch out for your mother. This was rule number one in my father's house. Do not come back in this house without your mothers and sisters. You might as well kill yourself or get on a bus and go somewhere else, but don't come back without your mother and mom my girls. Now I knew good and hell well, I knew good and hell well, okay, that if anybody so much as raised a finger to my mother, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it, that she was really taking care of me on that bus. But buddy, I'd be on the bus and in the store with my little chest stuck out, swearing I was doing something to protect my family. So I thought this, like, would be very mentally scarring if you told an eight-year-old to do that, and then the mother was, like, hit by a bus or something. Like, that would end... And this eight-year-old's trying to beat up the bus. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, that's years of therapy if you're putting that on, like, a little child. Okay, I I need to say something. I need to go back to the original point of this, which is protecting. Mm -hmm. I agree with this to a certain extent, and here's, here's my backing of this. In a past relationship that I've had... Barriers have come up, specifically women, other women, that I have made very clear in my past relationship, one of them, um, this is not okay. Um, I'm not going to go into any more specifics than that, but this specific, this women or multiple women um, were making it clear that they wanted a relationship and my partner at the time was not wanting to... um, Stop that woman from entering into our relationship. So I understand this point to a certain extent. You're wanting to protect your relationship um, and you're wanting to make sure that your partner does not get disrespected in any way. And I understand that. I am of the firm belief that if you respect your partner and you respect your relationship, you're not willing to have anything come between. Um, you're going to break all those barriers and make sure that, that your partner is not being disrespected. I understand that. I don't understand how the mother comes into this because in my mind, not everyone has a fucking mother. So how are they willing to, how how are you going to learn that? Um, Not everyone has a great relationship with their mother. Um, What if your mother abuses you, but you still want to protect her? Explain that. 
I just thought it was disempowering for women. Oh, like, no, for yeah, sure. For hey, sure. I hadn't gone to that point yet. Help let this eight-year-old protect yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Naomi, you've you've said a lot of things, and you're going to feel really stupid when I read this next part, because it's kind of the opposite of what you're I talking about. I need to say about. something, though. I was going into a club yesterday, and um, I had a taser on me because I was walking around alone on Mill. Like, of course I'm going to have a taser on me. Um, I was in a very fuck with me and I'll beat your ass kind of mood yesterday. So I'm walking to this club and I'm with my friend and her friend group. And she goes in and I go in, we both get ID'd and we do not get patted down. But the person right behind us also in the same group got patted down. He did not have anything on him, but I did explain that. Um, Fat Tuesday on Mill, they're the ones that have the really good slushies. Yeah. I think you can get them alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's still good. Um, they, they uh, every so often during the pandemic, I'd like be at the pokey restaurant and then stop by there to like grab slushies. They were selling gallons of slushie at the time. I didn't get a gallon. But, like, I, was, I was like, that sounds good. So I yeah. got like a 16 or 32 ounce. And even just picking up food, they'd make me, they'd pat me down and like maybe lift my shirt. I was like, I'm going to be inside here 20 seconds. Yeah. I'm walking to the counter, grabbing food. And they're like, it's policy, man. I'm like, how many people have died in fat Tuesdays? Yeah. My God. Okay, Naomi, let's talk about what protection means to Steve Harvey. Okay, okay, okay. I remember one time when my mother was at home and the insurance man came by looking for some money my mother didn't have. My father was at work, so he didn't come witness this man come to our front door and say, my mother, the next time I come here, you'd better have this money or else. My dad got wind of this situation for one of my siblings. When he asked my mother what exactly this man said to her, she hesitated and hemmed and hawed for a long time before she finally broke down and told my father about the exchange. She didn't really want to tell him what went down because she knew my father would snap. When he finally had the information he needed, my father came to me and asked what time the insurance man usually shows up, and I told him. And the next time that man came by my house, my father was there waiting for him. I'll never forget that image. That man never made it past the back of his car. When we looked out the window, my father that man bent over the car with both of his hands on the man's neck. If you ever say anything disrespectful to my wife again, I will kill you, he said. Now, Naomi, that might seem a little extreme, but this is what real men do to protect the ones they love. Protection isn't just about using brute physical force against someone, though. A man who truly cares and loves about you can and will protect you in other ways, whether it be with advice or stepping up to perform a task he thinks is too dangerous for you to take on. For instance, if it's dark outside, he may not want you to put a car in the driveway or walk the dog by yourself because he fears for your safety. In this instance, he'll move the cars and walk the dog himself. My wife, Marjorie, still cracks up when she thinks about how I protected her on a recent joint fishing and diving trip we took in Maui. See, my wife is a certified scuba diver. I am not. When we got out on those choppy waters of the Pacific Ocean, I couldn't help but feel like something was going to happen to my wife down there, and I wouldn't have any way of protecting her. Nonetheless, she put on all the equipment and began to descend into the water. I got antsy and immediately started lighting up cigars and walking around the boat, explaining to the dive masters that this one has to come back. By the time she was actually under the water, I told my security guy who can't scuba dive to put on his snorkel and get in and keep an eye on her. I also told everyone on board from my manager to the captain that if my wife is not back up here in 35 minutes, everyone's putting on suits and we're going to get her. <laughs> the guy leading the expedition said as nicely as he could, sir, everyone can't go down to save one person, but his words meant nothing to me. I'm telling you, I said, getting a little more jumpy with every word. Either everyone goes down there to save her or I'm killing everyone on this boat. This boat goes nowhere without her, and if it pulls off off and she's not on it that's it for everyone 
My wife must have sensed something was up because suddenly she was back above water. She knew I was acting up, and rather than dive, she returned to the boat because she knew how nervous I was about the whole idea of her submerged underwater where I couldn't act on my natural instincts to protect her. She figured it was better to sit that dive out. She understands that primal need I have to make sure nothing bad happens to her. Naomi, I want a man in my life who prevents me from doing things I want to do that I'm professionally trained to do. Okay, that's a good point. My second point is, he was talking about like, oh, the man will do it himself if for safety reasons. I understand not wanting your lady to go out and walk the dog late at night if you live in a rough neighborhood. Heck, I understand if you live in a good neighborhood not wanting to wa- have your, chi- your, your child. Oops. <laughs> He's acting like this is his child, uh, that his wife is his child. Um, but I understand that. But why not just be like, hey, um, it's an unsafe neighborhood here's a taser or let me come with you and help you not just take over the situation. Like it's a team situation. Like you're in a relationship. It should be a team. It shouldn't be someone's in fucking charge of everything. I disagree. Didn't you hear what he said about real men? I'm not a real man. If I don't control my, my wife's every, every move, I want someone who's a professional rock climber to stay at the ground because I can't dare, I can't fathom the idea of them being up in the air on a rock face. I want someone who's professionally trained to skydive to remain in the airplane with me and come back down. We'll take off, do a little (laughs) jaunt around the sky, come back down. I want them miserable at the idea that they could enjoy themselves without me being there to protect them. See, here's the thing. If he actually really cared about her, he would also go out and professionally get trained. That's a really interesting compromise, Naomi. <laughs> Instead, he's just like, oh, she gets to see the sea turtles, and I don't get to see the sea turtles. Oh. God, I literally... I've I want to see a sea turtle with a mustache and a cigar. <laughs> I've seen, like, relationships like this where, like, it's not this context, but it's a context of, like, oh, my girlfriend's going out with her girlfriends, and she's going, like, out clubbing or going out to a bar, going out to a restaurant with her friends. She can't go because I'm not there and she's obviously going to cheat on me. So what if he's like, oh, she's going to go underwater and have sex with the scuba diving <laughs> With the dolphins, yeah. yeah. Uh, Naomi, I think it's about time to wrap up part one of Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. We will be back to talk about with this With the more. three things everything every man needs. Support, loyalty, and the cookie. And the cookie. Let's not forget that. Do you have any initial thoughts on this first part Steve of Steve Harvey's- Harvey sucks. <laughs> Naomi, have you had a book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 63 fucking weeks? I just want to write a fucking book to get it. I will write as many books as it needs to beat this man's record. That's a good life goal. Beating Steve Harvey. Beating Steve Harvey. Oh, that sounded bad. His record, yes. Um, Again, like, I want to reiterate, Steve Harvey seems like a nice enough individual. The problem is his life lessons and the things he's learned are not applicable to the average person's life. And so he's spreading this like gospel of disempowerment and sexism, which is probably not good for women. That's most men in Hollywood. Yeah. And I love so, how Will Smith got banned from the Oscars for 10 years, but every single man who has made it a point to kiss a woman on stage without her consent was not banned. Or it's touch that uh, a woman inappropriately. This isn't a current events episode. Sorry, you know I mean? I'm, sorry I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But yeah, I, I, I think it's worth reiterating that even people who have the best of intentions can give still really shitty dating advice. Yeah. And you should keep that in mind when you're looking for like dating advice. But does and, Steve Harvey actually have good intentions? 
you 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 think he wants women to lower their standards to date him? Yeah, he's, he's worth two hundred million. Wife. Naomi, he's looking for his next wife. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I have. Thanks for have a great week, guys. Joel sucks don't at for, ending this episode. Don't he's forget so mad to at act Steve Harvey. like a lady and think like a man. Bada boom, bada bing. Many thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at DateTheseGuys or visit DateTheseGuys.org. If you have questions for the podcast or want to be a wealthy sugar parent, send an email to DateTheseGuys at gmail.com. If you're looking to make an impact in the world, this show strongly recommends Planned Parenthood, a nonprofit organization that provides reproductive health care in the United States. Planned Parenthood provides birth control, long-acting reversible contraceptive implants, clinical breast examinations, pregnancy screenings, prenatal care, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, and abortions. They also do great work for those who are lower income. Four-fifths of their clients are at or below 50% of the federal poverty line. Both Joel and Naomi are monthly donors to Planned Parenthood. We hope you will be too.